Thank you very much, ladies. That was beautiful. Great song. I haven't heard that one for a long time. Great, great song. All right, this evening, well, what can we be thankful for? Anyone tonight? I hope you've been looking at the um, PowerPoint at the beginning of the services. We're putting some of those cards that you are submitting and uh, putting those up as praise items, and um, that is a good thing, um, to be just thinking about ways that we can be thanking God. So appreciate that. Anyone else tonight? like to praise God. I should be able to just walk right up to you and hand you the mic. I think we can praise God that we have a youth group that wants to do a service. I've been in a lot mm-hmm. of churches over the last year, and number one, you don't have teens attending, and number two, they don't want to be interested in, in serving. So I think that's a, a, big, yeah. a big blessing. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Anyone else? Just one point tonight. I can't believe it. Uh, I'm going through the book of Exodus right now, and uh, I guess you read many times. You'll read the same thing over and over and over again, and you don't, you know, you get something out of it, but all of a sudden, something else will come out. It's amazing that when uh, Moses threw down the uh, staff, and uh, of course it became a snake, the magicians were there, and uh, they threw down things and did everything else, and all their snakes, uh, of course, were eaten up or what do I say, swallowed up totally. <laughs> By that staff. That should have shown Pharaoh right there, before all the plagues even started, that he couldn't win. Couldn't win at all, because everything was gone. And all the opposition, uh, you know, he was victorious over all the opposition. And uh, sometimes when we have things that come in our lives, uh, you know, God is still God. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes we forget that. And if we're looking to him, no matter what uh, befalls us, he is going to have the upper hand and the victory. And all we need to do is look to him. Fret not. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Anyone else? Quiet crew tonight. All right, just a couple of things here to add on our announcements, uh, just to be in prayer for um, <clears throat> Larry Russian's dad, Gordon. Um, is in line for a pacemaker. And so they were hoping to have that procedure done. I think Friday, Saturday did not happen, so it might have even happened this afternoon, if not today, tomorrow. So you can be praying for Gordon. Uh, High schoolers have exams this week, and uh, so we can remember them. And uh, they always love those things. And uh, so that's good. And then also, too, if you haven't already picked up, annual meeting material is on the back tables there. And uh, so make sure that you avail yourself of that. And Ladies Bible Study, Monday night at uh, Brenda Cabral's, it will be canceled for this week. And uh, just light of all the other things that are going on. And I think that was all that I had handed to me. I'm not sure if there's anything else. If you can think of it, let me know. And uh, that'll be great. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at the book of Nehemiah. Dear God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have this evening again to spend time together and to reflect on all that you are doing in our lives. And, And we are grateful for what you do in and through us, and sometimes even in spite of us. God, we come to you this evening, and um, as we are approaching uh, 
another week in front of us. We thank you for the, the rest that we can have as we get together and we just change schedules. And we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that it has been to spend time with you and um, with one another. As we begin our week, we know there's a variety of things that are coming up, and we continue to pray um, for Jean and family tonight and as they prepare themselves uh, for the next few days especially. We ask that you encourage them and strengthen them during these days especially. God, we think of our Guatemala trip. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to be a part of this. We pray for Tom and Emily as they headed up and the folks that are anticipating going. Uh, we continue to pray for them and we look forward to what you have for them in the days to come. God, we think of our Easter musical as they'll be practicing that here in the next little while. God, we just pray that you will use this in a mighty way. Begin in our hearts to help us to be thinking about people whom we may be able to invite out to it. And uh, we're looking forward to great opportunities this way. God, as we also this week meet together as a, as a church family, and um, as we take the time to review this past year and we consider for uh, what you have for us in the coming year, we commit ourselves to you during this period especially. Tonight, we thank you again. We look forward to all that you have for us. And as we open this book tonight, may we be mindful. This is your book. And you've given us these details so that we can glean truths from them. Encourage us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're cruising right along here. Um, I thought I might be able to get through chapter 11 and 12 tonight, but that's not going to work. Um, we're going to try to finish up Nehemiah next week. And um, as we get into February, a couple of things there. You'll notice um, the Valentine's program, of course, on the 14th. But the week prior to that, Sandy and I and Brianne Long are going to be making the trip out to a biblical counseling conference in Indiana. And uh, so just kind of a break uh, there for us. So I thought if I could finish Nehemiah, that would be good. And then we'll come back and start another one. <clears throat> we'll see where we go from there, Derek. So uh, not sure. But anyway, it should be fun. Anyway, been having a great time with the book. And um, it's always good. Uh, there's so many things when you're studying that you, you're reflecting on. And it's too numerous uh, to share everything or we'd be here forever. We're giving you just snapshots of a tremendous time in the life of the children of Israel and uh, the excitement and all the things that went with it. And as we've been talking about it, of course, we know that the construction was huge, but there were just so many other things that were going on after. And that's where we are now. The wall is built. We're coming to chapter 11. And it's interesting how God just kind of gives us the ramp up. I kind of look at things in sequence. You kind of figured that out, right? I, I just see sequence. I see process. I see development. I don't see random. I'm not real good with random. I like to see things connect. Um, I just, I don't know, I just kind of like to see how God does things. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I've seen as I've been studying this particular passage of Scripture. Nothing was missed. It's really important for us to realize that no matter what comes in our life, as random as it may seem, in God's eyes, God's not random. Very purposeful in everything that he does. 
So as we think of it, there's many lessons that we can glean from that, and uh, I hope that it is actually an encouragement to us to realize that we're not left on our own. So we come to this, and we've been working our way through. We started with chapter 8, and 8 was talking about the book of God. Chapter 9, we got into this whole thing, what should you expect if the book gets into you, okay? Chapter 10, we moved into this thing of a covenant with God. And that was a huge element as the people of God. You can see the development, the progress that's taking place here. It's just not something that God sneaks up on you. Sometimes we're surprised, aren't we? How God's doing different things. But really when you look back, you can actually see how God was preparing you for the next steps. God is preparing his people for the next steps. The wall was one of those elements. I mean, it's kind of cool doing a project together, isn't it? You begin to realize how much you can do together. And they built the wall. But now we're at a place where the wall's built. How much more can the people of God do? That's what he's kind of helping them see. And so as we come into this particular section of Scripture, we begin to think through, and this was chapter 10. Oh, I found this quote, uh, and maybe it's a tale from last week, but every, does you remember Vance Havner? He comes up with some winners once in a while, and this was one of the winners. We talked about this covenant, and we likened it to membership last week, remember? Mm, how I remember. Sorry I was so harsh, right? I mean, I, I just, it was there. It just, it couldn't, I couldn't get past it. The link was there. And this is what Vance Hafner said about membership. Most church members live so far below the standard, you'd have to backslide to be in fellowship. We are so subnormal that if it were to become normal, people would think that we were abnormal. Vance Habner, as only he could say it. And, uh, you know, when you think about this whole element, and even this morning when we were talking through this area of leadership example, people who trust Christ because of that example and what the world sees, there's this whole disconnect today. It's almost as if people expect the church to be a bunch of losers, They're almost expecting the church to have all kinds of problems and be totally non-relevant in the world that they exist. Teaching this class at New Brunswick Bible Institute, and we went through the history of, of uh, counseling, biblical counseling. There was a 100-year window before Jay Adams. Anybody ever heard the name Jay Adams? Jay Adams is kind of the father of biblical counseling in our era. Jay Adams inherited a 100-year period of time of total neglect to biblical counseling. What was taking place was the people of God were preoccupied with all kinds of other things. And one of the analogies that I read that I remembered well, while the church was fighting over whether or not you should wear a tie to church, the world was trying to keep the noose off their neck. 
The world was trying to figure out how to stay alive and the church thought it necessary to determine what we should wear. We were preoccupied with other things. We've been reactive instead of proactive. Reactive meaning that when an issue comes up, and this was when Darwin and all those boys came into power, right? And there was some attacks on the sufficiency of Scripture, and it was like the church went into this hydrostatic mode where everything was all about the authority, the inspiration of Scripture, and they stayed there for decades. And we were fighting battles that nobody was fighting anymore. We just didn't know it. That hundred years pointed out a lot of things to me as I was thinking through. When you look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts, they were on the cutting edge, were they not? Not in technology. They were on the cutting edge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of taking it to every man, woman, boy, and child. They were out there working feverishly for God. So just a little tailspin, maybe this is the backside of that Northeaster that they had down there in Boston, I don't know but just some thoughts. So we get to this point in chapter 10 and 11, and we see we will not neglect the house of God. That was the commitment that these people were making in chapter 10. That was the covenant with Almighty God. And then all of a sudden you got this chapter 11. Now, folks, we're going to be really hard-pressed here tonight to read chapter 11. You looking at it? I can't pronounce hardly any of the names in there. It's a bunch of names in here. But as I began to look at this, I began to realize if there was something that I was going to kind of maybe zero in on, it would have to be this thing of commitment. Because they've made the covenant with God. They've already said, yeah, we're going to do this, God. Do you remember camp meetings? Did, did, did you ever go to camp meeting and they had a campfire? Did you ever throw a stick into the fire at the end of a service? Did any of you ever do that? You understand, I, I grew up more life. If you're ever around Jack Wirtz, and I, I don't know, we must have burnt three or four hundred forests down. Because they're always at camp. You had to have a camp meeting. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of those, and I've been to a few camps where, a, a, you know, a campfire is where you get around and you sing with a guitar and, uh-uh, not Jack Wurtzen's meetings. The campfire is when you get the hottest preacher that you can find. And he's usually really hot because he's standing closest to the fire. And he preaches heaven glorious and hell hot. And he presents the glorious truth of not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but living for him all your life. And as I was reading through this passage of scripture, I was thinking of all the campfire services that I've been to in my life. And I've been to a raft of them. Some of them I preached at. Others of them I helped at the front to pass out the sticks. There's nothing like being where God's at work. 
You see in these people that have been sitting in the all week long, some of them hardened to the gospel, and all of a sudden the lights come on in their life, and man, they're coming to the front by the droves. And I can remember being in Scroon Lake, New York, and some of their campfires, they would have 500 to 1,000 young people. You want to have something electrifying. This is amazing. They still do this, folks. This isn't just yesterday's news. And on Wednesday night, They'll preach a campfire service. And they'll give everybody an opportunity to sign up. That's what the stick means. I'm going to let my life burn for Jesus. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die to self and I'm going to live for God. I mean, isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a wonderful feeling to have? To have that kind of a covenant, that kind of a commitment. That's where these people were. They'd gotten to the place in their life. God had got down through the veneer and right to the heart, and they were willing to serve God. There was no two doubts about it. We need more of those meetings. But you know what? Throwing a stick in the fire doesn't change lives. It's a symbol. Signing on the dotted line doesn't change your life. But it is a vow that we make before a holy God. And I'm glad they put chapter 11 in here. Because you remember what was happening. Why did Nehemiah come to Jerusalem in the first place? To rebuild a wall. Around what? The city. What was in the city? Rubble and a temple. Ezra had come and done the temple. But they didn't give the walls up. So this place was like (laughs) rubble everywhere except for this massive. And now they got a wall around it. Cool. Ever been to a museum? Great place to go and look. But who wants to live there? Now I know that I think there was a movie out, wasn't there? Something about some, whatever that was. I never watched it. Did you watch it? No, no. But anyway, you got this massive wall and all kinds of rubble. They just signed on that they would not neglect the temple. Chapter 11. You'll see some things here as we work our way through this. I don't know, I, I, I just got leaders, volunteers, and the drafted. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Especially when we're into a nomination meeting. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can almost hear him saying, Nehemiah, you said, what? What have we got to do? Remember, the place is a rubble. They say at this time, in the villages around the city of Jerusalem, or the rubble, there was up to a million people living. But they weren't living in 
Jerusalem. The reason they weren't living in Jerusalem, it wasn't safe. It wasn't protected. Why in the world would you go there? If you went in there, you become a target. Now, it's time to put feet to your commitment. So we see. First off, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. (laughs) The leaders lived in Jerusalem. And you'll find a little bit later on, the chiefs of the province in verse 3 lived in Jerusalem. The reason why they lived in Jerusalem is because they were paid to live there. So now God calls the card. And Nehemiah says, Hey boys, we need some people to come live in the city. We need some people to come and be part of the rebuilding of this society. And so this is what took place in chapter 11. Who is going to come? You can see the different groups. I've indicated here, you've got volunteers. Interesting, verse number 2. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other town. So they come up with a plan. They had just talked about tithing in the chapter previous. They're going to cast lots and they're going to determine, okay, let's see, out of this group of ten, sorry about your luck, you're moving. They were drafted. So we see this group of leaders who were there because they were paid. We see two groups that come in in that opening section there, 822 verses, or 822 folk, verses 10 and 12, that came in as volunteers. And then we begin to see the lottery start to take place. Now, a couple other names of... I don't know, I don't know if they're significant, but look at verse 17. Verse 17, we find that there was this guy named Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zebdi, son of Asaph, who is the leader of the praise, who give thanks, and Barakarabah, who is second among his brethren, and all those other guys. Who is Mataniah? Anybody ever heard of him before? He was leader of praise. In other words, he was their prayer guy. They had somebody who came in and prayed, specifically. That was his role. Hmm. Then you see down in verse 22, you see another individual. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was, would that be Uzzah? Uzzai? That's an interesting name. And he is the son of somebody else. And he was also there. But his role was to sing praises. So we got praying, we got all kinds of different things that are taking place in the midst of all of these volunteers and drafted and leaders to come back into the city. Now, 
I could take a long time looking at this passage of Scripture, and I'm not sure if I could pull out much more out of that than what I just gave you. But God put it in there. And one of the things I got thinking about was the fact that, you know what? There are a bunch of no-namers. We talked about church membership last time together, and we kind of walked away through some of that kind of stuff. And I was thinking a little bit about this. And as we do, we understand that church is made up of leaders. Some of us are paid and some of us are not, but there's leaders within our church. We have a host of volunteers, and then we got the drafted. That's that list of men and women that we're about to nominate to whatever those positions are. So we're not that far away from where they were. Kind of sounds like any church. However, the part that I was thinking about is this word presence. You're going to hear a little bit more about this on Tuesday. Because this is where I believe we miss so much. Have you ever... No, I know you wouldn't. But there's other people that sometimes on Sunday night, just about 5 o'clock, they're thinking, man, am I ever tired? I don't know if I can do it. I think I'll stay home. We kind of wonder, am I really important? I mean, I don't do I didn't. I'm not going to be up front. You know what bothers me the most, folks, is when I see people, the only time is when they're serving God. Now, I'm talking to the Sunday night crowd, so I, I'm safe, okay? I'd be careful saying that on Sunday morning, wouldn't I? I wouldn't want to offend anybody. But if we only come to church because we are serving God, I think there's a problem there, don't you? It ought to be a voluntary element. There is this thing called presence. That was the the thing that Jerusalem needed was the presence of the people. Why couldn't they stay in their walled, sealed homes safe? God wanted them in community. God wants us together. We never know when we are going to be used of God in another person's life just because we were there. You can't be used if you're not there. There is a very important place. We've all been there, I remember. For me... My dad died. And I was doing really good. I looked out in the crowd. And there was the old farmer that drove 12 hours from Ontario just to be there with me. I can't put a price tag on that one. You'll see him. His name's Gerald Carefoot. You'll be down here. You'll be coming soon. You won't miss him. He's huge. Carol? What's he done for your mom? 
just his presence. I wonder who's blowing in my ear telling me I'm too tired to go. Now, folks, I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip because there are times when, guess what? The best thing you need to do is stay home and take a nap. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the people of God, we need to have presence. It makes a big difference. It takes a host of people to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, if you haven't got it all worn out yet, that's my favorite passage. You've already figured that out, haven't you? I mean, I, we were in class there at MBBI, and, and, you know, you always ask a question, and somebody, you know, always brings up Jesus. That's always the right answer, isn't it? Well... When I'm dealing with stuff, it seems like I can just keep coming back and I can find the answer right here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, God, God gave us apostles, prophets, verse 11, shepherds and teachers to do the work of the ministry. Is that what your Bible says? What's your Bible say? Why did God give those basic people? To do what? To equip. Equip whom? To do what? God chose Nehemiah. He had Ezra there. He brought them into Jerusalem for such a time as that. And their role, it was for the equipping. They brought the people to the point where it was their turn. They signed them up. And then they let them go to equip. And for what purpose? The work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Important, the host of people. Here's another one to think through. Your gift makes you valuable, but not necessarily famous. We haven't talked about gifts. When was the last time you guys talked about gifts here? Anybody remember? It's been a while. Gifts? What do you know about gifts? Christmas, birthdays. Good. What else do you know about them? Biblical gifts. What do we know about them? Everybody has one. Everybody? Every believer has one. Thank you. Really? One and maybe multiple. And what were those gifts for? To be used within the body of Christ. What are some of the gifts? 
Preaching's one. Say it again. Hospitality. Woohoo! That's a good one. Generosity. Teaching. Administrations. Exhortation. Helps in every area. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching, start meddling. Are you a believer? Going to commit? You're a believer, right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Man, hard crowd here tonight. I'll step back. I know that's a problem. I'm threatening. I'm, I'll come back here. I'm better, right? As long as I stay in my space, it's good, better, right? So you're all believers. So based on what we're talking about, what does that mean? You have a gift. Maybe more. What's your gift? But more importantly, not just identifying what your gift is, and can I tell you right now, don't bother to go out and Google and take a test. I can save you the hassle. You want to know how to know what your gift is? Come on into the wall. Come on into the city. Serve. Multiplicity of ways. You probably will not be able to identify your gift. That's the way God keeps it. But the people around you will know as you exercise the gift. You can go back to, I think it's Exodus 35, and they were talking about all the different people that were gifted for the temple. All those different people that God brought in and recruited for the building of. We need you. You are uniquely gifted for the people's church. There's some verses there. You've got Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Great passages as it relates to giftedness. Good ones to look over again. But here we are again back to this whole thing of commitment. You know, I can remember seeing the boys and girls come forward and the teenagers coming forward by the droves. So much so that they would crowd the fire and, and you, you would be backed away from them and you could hardly see the fire for all the young people. Jack, Jack Wurtson died probably 25 years ago now. It's been a long time. But even at that point in his ministry, literally thousands of young men and women had gone around the world Because of that commitment to God. Not everybody left their home area. But every one of them 
was given a gift at salvation to be used in the church. You're never too young and you're never too old to utilize that gift. The last point. Could you imagine coming up to Matt's family and saying, hey, sorry about your luck, boys. You're number 10. You got to pack her up and you got to move it. Ministry is rarely, if ever, convenient. Serving God is not easy. Right, Maynard? All those years. Lots of times when you could have done something different. But you know what? You stuck with it. Because that's what God called me to do. That is being steadfast in hope. And when God calls us, He enables us. And when He enables us, He's going to give us the open doors that we need. He's checking to see, are you willing? You said you were. <laughs> Who's on the Lord's side? I mean, it's, just, it's just an intriguing passage of Scripture. We think about it. What it must have done in that group of people. And that's why I think you see this group of volunteers. I think it was because they're thinking, hey, wait a minute. I didn't get nominated this last year. They didn't stop and think, that's great, now I can go skiing on Sunday." Now, there was a host of volunteers that said, I don't need a title. I just need a place of rubble where I can get my hands dirty for God Almighty. Can I come too? That is so cool. The family of God working together can produce amazing things for His glory and honor. This week, what is it that God's going to have you be part of? Your mere presence could make a difference. Let's stand together and pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for these stories that you give to us in the word of God. The people, and, and we can't even pronounce their names, and we know that they're real, alive, and these people are with you in glory today. And they fulfilled tremendous obligation. They were men and women of their word. And because of it, the rest is history. We thank you for them. May it be an encouragement to each of us. We thank you tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great week. God bless you.